This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 69 with guest Rose Janssen. Hello everyone, I'm your host Daria Sovorova and welcome to today's conversation. For this episode, I invited Rose Janssen, women's hormonal health expert born in Amsterdam and currently based in Berlin. For years, Rose led HR teams and implemented period leave as a health benefit in one of the local startups. One thing that has shaped Rose is her very own post-peel experience, which she shares on this podcast. She's passionate about removing the stigma surrounding women's health, empowering women to take control of their hormonal balance. Join this conversation as we deep dive into Rose's inspiring journey and learn about women's hormonal health. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate it on Spotify, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or simply share it with a friend. What a pleasure to welcome you today in the studio. We've known each other online for some time, and finally we get to meet and record an episode together. And I'm super, super excited to talk about women's hormonal health. It's the first time I'll talk about this with a guest on the show. So it's something new and to hear your story, of course. So thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you very much for the invite. Uh, this has been a dream of mine. I've been manifesting to sit here. So I'm very honored that I was asked and that we finally met in person. <laughs> You know, it was just about perfect timing. I think the moment you like switched your LinkedIn and you became like woman's hormonal coach, I was like, oh yeah, now I'm reaching out to her. I think there was this, you know, I was waiting for this, the perfect storyline. When I found my purpose. And your company. True. But before we're going to talk about that, I wanted to start with a little bit tricky question. Maybe it's a little bit upfront, but to me, your representation of a successful, independent woman, fully fitting into the image of woman who is author of her own achievements. But you did mention that you have been actually quite insecure before you moved to Berlin for your first job. Who was that rose before Berlin? Well, first of all, thank you. That's very honoring to hear. Who was I before going to Berlin? I was a very insecure girl, very insecure. And I think that happened because I was bullied at high school actually because of hormonal acne on my back, on my chest, uh, everywhere. I just was an outsider from the beginning. And once I started on the pill and I started to look more normal and healthy, people started to accept me to being, oh, there's she's also a person. It's not just the looks that are standing in the way. But that has been, it still affects me today if I think about it. That always has been something that just walked with me. I'm very insecure of how do I look? How do I come across? How do people see me? I've heard the most nasty things about me. So even my sisters, I remember when I was in my 20s, they still said, why are you so insecure? And I just couldn't say. And let's not forget, the Netherlands is a very hard country, very direct. So they tell what they think. And um, coming to Berlin, it was a heaven. People don't look at you. People just accept you who you are. You can be you. You have the time to explore yourself without anyone expressing an opinion of you and what you're doing. And so it was a perfect moment for me to figure out who I was and to start a career here and feel at home. I actually felt at home and felt within my body coming to Berlin. So I'm very grateful that I made the move. Interesting. I never knew that Dutch people are direct. I always thought it was a very like open-minded, welcoming group of folks that if you especially go to Netherlands, to Amsterdam, you feel very invited and like feels like home. And a lot of people describe, especially Amsterdam, like a big village. And to, that feels like a very friendly environment. 
I think it's the double side of it. It's, it's a village, but you have the the positive side of the Netherlands, very the welcoming, the extroverted. But I think on the good side, there's always a downside and the extroversion can also go into too much openness, too much expressing. And that's, I guess, what's happening there. And I still, if I come back, I like it. But here, I feel at home. Interesting. Would you move back? No, never. <laughs> that's interesting. Look at you, Berliner, real Berliner now. You had uh, also extremely successful career uh, in Berlin. And I was curious to hear about the time when you described it as you had a personal identity crisis at age 28, which was fascinating because you've reached, you know, a lot of great achievements. You were leading an HR team, but somehow something was not in place. Something was not right. What was that your internal dialogue that you were having? Well, that's a good question. So when I came to Berlin, I was 25. I started in HR and it was amazing in the startup world. And I fell in love with the job and I had this goal for myself to become an HR leader and to lead my own team. And in two and a half years, I was actually doing that with a team of 12 people. So there I was reaching my goals and then it all fell apart. And I, I just looked at myself in the mirror and thought, who am I? What am I doing? Is this what I want? Is this my life? And I was very proud of what I achieved, yet I also knew I shouldn't be staying here. I, I need to move forward. But that's difficult if you don't know how. And it was also Corona period. So it was just you stay at home all the time. It was very difficult to explore. And in the end, I um, quit my job, but with a notice period of more than half a year because I had a lot of new team members even starting and I wanted to make sure that they felt at home and they were welcoming because they partly also chose the job because I was in the team. They mentioned that. In the end, I stayed at the job for another year before I actually left because I felt I was loving the job and I, I love my team. But at some point I had to make the cut and say, but now I choose me. And so I did. Was that the time that you also went freelance? Yeah, I think freelance was just the easy option for me because what to do next? And I thought I can still do HR. I still love it. But what if I can do it for two to three days a week? I have time to think. I have time to learn, to read. I love to explore. And I think we always should develop ourselves. And I think with the two and a half years of pushing myself to reach the top very quickly, I just didn't have time to focus on me. I was just focused on my career and and moving forward. And for the first time, and I think that was the easy part with freelance, I had time to just explore. And fun fact, when I started actually freelancing, I, I didn't even have time to explore. I just needed to sort of move myself out of the job and just take a moment to breathe and, and be like, wow, I actually have time on my hands. So it also took maybe a month or two or three to slowly get into like the exploration. I had no clue what I wanted to do. I just felt like, Whatever I will be doing, I'm already on my way. I trusted myself in that. It's incredible. I mean, it's such a different perspective now that I think like 10, 15 years ago, having career breaks or having a gap in your CV was something like outrageous, something bad. Like, why didn't you find a job? Why didn't you look? Are you lazy? Are you not interested in working? Are you not career driven? And I feel like that mentality has been completely shifting towards embracing this, towards helping people to understand, okay, what is their value proposition? How do they contribute? And it's something considered as good. I just thought of like this mentality shift has been quite fascinating. I don't know if you've noticed it. I think I see it more and more, especially because I've worked in HR and I always 
uh, cheered for others when they did that or when they were unsure of what to do next. I always said, take time. You have plenty of time. You have your whole life to figure things out. If you don't make it in your 30s, you can make it in your 40s, right? Or in your 50s, 60s, I don't care. Figure your own life out. But when I did move away from the job and started freelance, especially at home, like my parents, also friends around, it's like, why are you quitting such a good job? You're in the spring of your career. You can even reach to a VP. You can go into boards. What are you doing? Like all the money is just going away of the bank account. But I always had trust of, I will make it happen. And fun fact, it was only my father who, when I told him, he was so proud. He even called me back to say, you know what? I'm so proud of you choosing you. So I remember when I quit the job, the only one who cheered for me was my father. And he actually called me back one day just to say, I'm so proud of you making the decision to choose you and to choose your happiness, whatever that will be. That was just heartwarming. And it's beautiful. I think if you have trust in yourself and have the faith of, it will come, it will come. It's a very bold move. I, I applaud to you. Um, <laughs> and there is, a, although also a very quite interesting perspective here, because you've connected, let's say, one of the cons of becoming a freelancer, or maybe one of the consequences of becoming a freelancer was losing a status. And I found it quite unusual to take on freelancing, because somehow you felt that you didn't have that power anymore. What did you mean by that? And I want to be very honest about that because I'm highly sure more can relate to this one. When you move into freelance, you start to do projects, but you don't manage a team anymore. You're not part of the big players in the company. You become a pawn in a very big play. And at the beginning, I thought that was fine. But at some point, it, that thought started to itch on me. It started to grow on me and I realized it. So I thought, okay, you know what? I was talking to myself. I said, Rose. I'm going to sit with this thought and I'm just going to sink in on whatever, where this is coming from and why do I have this right now? And reflecting on it, I think I just realized that I've been growing up in an environment, the social environment where you need to have a career. You are going to school, you are doing your studies so you can have a career. And by career, I mean going into a company, hopefully stay there for a very long time because that's still the mindset of our parents right? Uh, and the families. And so all of a sudden, I didn't have that. I didn't have that responsibility in that career. And so I just had to accept that I wasn't maybe doing something as good anymore. I was just, what what was my output in, into the company? I think when I realized that my contribution wasn't as big, I also realized, but that's for a greater good because I'm choosing me and I'm actually going to go into a different direction anyway. And Without the freelance, I wasn't able to do my exploration. So I think it took me a month or two last summer. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting at Badeshiv and one day I was like, I have it. I'm okay with that. <laughs> and I remember that whole day I could just enjoy with a wine in my hand and be like, life is good now. And I'm on my way. Again, I just knew I'm on my path again. This is just uh, so enlightening to listen to you um, and, and to hear your thoughts, how you reflected on things. And because a lot of people, right, they see the successful part or the part where people say, yes, this was a great decision. But a lot of people forget unintentionally about that transition period, about that situation where you had to be in a doubt in, in making that decision, right? And it's so refreshing to hear that because then you know Yes, this is a process. It's normal if you have those thoughts, but you, you're getting there. It's a process to get somewhere where you will feel happy and ultimately feeling like you're in the right place. 
So thanks for being so transparent and sharing your story. As we transition into women's health, there is actually a personal story that I would like to start with, and it's your personal story, which, as I understood, was like, mm, let's say, one of the first flags or light bulbs that led you to choosing women's hormonal health and exploring that topic further. And specifically that you were taking birth control pills for quite some time and stopped after 14 years. And there has been a little bit of a dramatic post-pill experience for you. And can you share what were the challenges at that time for you, but also in terms of finding the resources and the right support and uh, maybe you can share that story with me. So the reason why I quit the pill in the first place is I was just very curious who I was as a woman without. I was unsure how long would my period be? Would I have cramps? I heard women around me talking about PMS. Would I, would I have that? I don't know. I just got very curious of who would I be without synthetic hormones. So on one day to the next, I just stopped the pill and felt like, yeah, ready for it. And I remember the whole month, I was just waiting for my period to come. <laughs> I like literally sat at the toilet and like, maybe this is the day. But nothing came. And it didn't come for seven months. And that was very strange. So I already called the doctor by then and say, hello, what's going on here? Do a check, do a check again. I think I saw the gynecologist then already three times. She was like, no, no, it's fine. But couldn't really explain to me what was going on. And in the time, I also got severe acne again, heavy uh, hormonal acne. Of course, the insecurity and the doubts came right in. If we talk about the beginning of what I shared in my story, it, it just hit. So also in Berlin, I, I, felt, I felt very insecure for a moment, extreme hair loss. And then at some point, the period did came. So I thought, finally, we're here. I'm, I'm healthy. But the period just didn't came. I also started to bleed a lot. So I started to bleed 16 days out of the 26 days. And I do know that's not healthy. So... I'm not afraid to go to the doctor. And even though I don't go often, but I know if something is wrong, I will go. So I went to the gynecologist and she did her research and she said, well, I don't know what's going on. So you can go back on the pill. And I said, that's not an option. How is this possible that you go to a gynecologist and she doesn't know what's going on? And I think this is what many women struggle with. It's so frustrating. It is. It's one of the things, I guess, one of the challenges that I'm fighting right now is to help women go to the doctor and to the gynecologist and to help them actually get a proper consult. So I said, no, I want to have more medical examinations. She came up with a few different items that might, could be it. In the end, she said, you know what? I'm sending you to a specialist. Here's the name, make an appointment and go for it. So I went home looked him up online and I saw that he was an oncologist specialist. My heart sank so deeply in my shoes. I was like, no way. She didn't have even the guts to tell me this might be cancer. So the weeks leading up to that appointment were just really horrible. It was, a, it was just a nightmare. And then I also asked my boyfriend to join me to go to that appointment. And the man himself, he was very kind. So he welcomed us and he said also to my boyfriend, do you also want to join in? And he said, preferably not, <laughs> because they would do like a whole examination from the outside and inside. But I do like the medical part of, of a body. I like the doctors. I, f I find this whole space very interesting. I always wanted to be a doctor, but I just didn't have the background biology, you know, of these. I wasn't very good at the beta uh, courses. So I had to lay there. And then next to me was a very big screen. And he was just doing his whole research. 
and I could see everything from the outer to my inside. He was explaining what it would mean. And I had the feeling I was ovulating that day and I told him and he's like, actually, you can see that. Look at the vaginal mucus that you can see. It's the fertile mucus. Or, hey, can you guess which uh, side you ovulate? I was like, this is the left side. He's like, here, I can show you and I could see it. And it was just amazing. And then in the end, he told me I had a hormonal imbalance. He couldn't even explain to me what it was, which one. Also find this still interesting up to today. But my best solution was to go back to the pill, take that for a year and then have a reset in my hormones. I didn't want to, but who am I to judge? This was the specialist. And uh, so I went back on the pill, a bit reluctant, and then started to have so many symptoms. I think also because my mind was just saying, this is not what I should be doing right now. And uh, I started to look online, couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything in resources that would help me in information. Unbelievable. The only thing that I could find was a dermatologist to help me with my hormonal acne. She gave really good tips. She was a dermatologist from Canada. And that was just very frustrating for me. So that whole year, there was no one, no doctor, no online resources, no education that could help me. And while I was having all these problems and then going into the research, I also learned so much about my own body and I was fascinated. So I was like, I need to learn more. And actually, that was also the same time. And I'm not sure if I can already say that, but hey, I'm just going to do it. I also introduced period leave at Nuri. It was sort of at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was curious to talk, to talk about that as well. So maybe before we're going to go more into how you started to explore the topic further, maybe you can share a little bit about the period leave at Nuri, because I believe this is like one of the first cases of such um, benefits being introduced in a European startup. It might be, I don't have to, I don't dare to say that. We right. cannot, one we of cannot, the first. One of the first, because <laughs> we cannot test, I cannot testify that it is true, but it sort of came together. So it was my own personal journey, very struggling while working full time, having no support on the side from no doctors, no nothing. And during that time, also when I worked at Nuri, when I looked on the Slack channel for women, during certain periods of time, especially during full moon, there was just women saying, today is not my day. I shouldn't be doing meetings today. I shouldn't be all day meetings. I feel horrible. If someone will talk to me right now, I will kill them. You know, <laughs> like all these kind of messages. And even though I couldn't really relate to the mood swings, maybe there, I could see that something was wrong. And uh, again, I started to do research. Why is this happening? Why are we actually working during our periods? And I found very interesting research that already in um, Japan, you already have period leave since 1947. 1947. Yes, after the war. And then also it was introduced in Indonesia and other Asian countries. Then um, the, the wave, of course, in Australia in 20, I think in 2000, something around that, where women with the feminist movement also really vow for we need period leave um, at the company. And so all that research, I thought, oh, my God, why are we so behind in Europe? We pretend to be this amazing startup world providing fruits, you know, and health insurances. But why don't we focus on, on women's health at work? We are living in a very male-dominated workplace. Mm. It's been built by men, created by men. It's not bad, but I think nowadays so many women are working. It's a very equal workplace. Let's also think about what do women need? Did you experience any pushbacks when you were implementing the period leave? Interesting enough, the board immediately was for it. And I, I did a full presentation with my uh, stats on it, my foundings, and um, they truly believed that this was the right place. 
or this was the right thing to do. But the the middle management, there was a lot of reluctance there. And I could see that, especially from men who said, okay, but if women have a day, then we also should have a day. And so I was, it was just one day or? So the period leave that I implemented was the following. It was 10 days a year. You could take it as a full day, a half day, or you could just say on those days, I'm not gonna do meetings. And the reason for it is that what you can see is that if women on their periods, they show a lot of presentism at work. So they show up at work to prove that they are at work because they don't want to, you know, report sick every month. That's not a comfortable thing to do because you aren't sick. But it's okay to say, hey, something is in the way and it doesn't make you weaker. It's just simply something that might be standing in the way. And at this company, we had a lot of young women. I could just see that this was very needed if you have a company that has a lot of women in 40s, 50s. A menopause policy would work there. But in this case, that one would work. And I remember especially one guy was saying, well, period leave. I need a period leave for all the women being on the periods. And I was like, you know what? I haven't heard anything. I didn't receive any feedback in my role of leading HR there. But if you are struggling with something and more men are coming up with that, let's explore this. Let's do research and let's figure out if we need to do something for that. But until that day... I'm not going to take that serious. And obviously, he didn't come back to that anymore. Um, nice response. And what I love from the team, especially men, they were very loving this this period leave. They said, I wish my sister would have something like that. Or, hey, my girlfriend could benefit from this. And more and more, also men started to talk about it. So the women were just very thankful for it and for the for being acknowledged. But the response from the men, that was actually amazing from the team. This is really good to hear. So so what is actually, maybe we could get to the essence of it. So what is women's hormonal health? Can you just, you know, give me like a short description, short explanation of what it means? Ooh, it will be very difficult to keep this crisp. But I think before I explain that, I think it's important to understand what are actually hormones. Because if we talk about women's hormonal health, let's just come back to hormones before we talk about hormonal health. So hormones... They manage everything in our body. They are the messengers. They make sure that our organs function. They make sure that we can go to sleep, that we can wake up. They make sure that how we look, we look, um, how we feel as well. So hormones basically provide all the processes or kickstart all the processes in our body. With women, it's even special because we have a womb and we have ovaries. So we have certain dominant hormones that play also a part in how we feel. So women's hormonal health is really not just the whole hormonal health of the hormonal household that goes into the body, but also how the womb and the ovaries are also playing a part in that. And that's just related. And you can relate that in simple words to the periods and the menstruation cycle. And what are maybe, if you could explain, what are the common misconceptions around it? The first misconception is we don't know what hormones are and what they do for our day-to-day -day life and how they affect in our work. So if we are aware that hormones are actually playing a huge part in how we feel, how our energy is managed, how we uh, deal with stress, how we sleep, you can easily relate that to also work life. And I think that's the first misconception. The second is that what I've seen in today's society, women's health has been put up with a stigma. We don't talk about it. It's an awkward topic. We keep that for ourselves. And we tend to normalize a lot of symptoms that simply aren't normal. I've seen so many clients of mine that are struggling with very heavy bleeds, very painful uh, cramps, 
barely able to sleep. They have severe PMS. And the first thing that they will say at the beginning is, oh, but this is part of the period. I should have, I should accept that. But actually you shouldn't. I think the misconception about women's hormonal health is if you have certain symptoms and they are affecting you, this isn't healthy. And then we talk about an unhealthy women hormonal health. But I think this is the first thing that I would mention if we talk about misconception, the stigma around it, the normalization of symptoms and not understanding what hormones are and what are healthy hormones and how they play a part in our life with work. Maybe you could just give example of some common hormonal imbalances or issues that women face and maybe especially working women get to face? I would name two. The first one that I would name is estrogen dominance, but I would say in the simple words, you can relate to it if you have PMS, severe PMS symptoms. You feel irritable, you might even feel depressed, anxiety, hormonal migraines, low libido, a lot of cravings, bloating. All of these are symptoms from PMS and they actually relate to estrogen dominance. In other words, there's too much estrogen in your body compared to other hormones. And I feel like at the moment it's an epidemic uh, and that is because of the way we live, the way we eat, the way we work, it all contributes to that imbalance. But we never really learned that all of that, our whole lifestyle, our career, our relationships all play a part in how our hormones actually react to that. The second I would say is a more medical one. Um, I see many women struggling with a very painful and heavy periods, mm. more than seven days, very heavy cramps, unable to work on at least one or two days. They also might have even pain during ovulation. Also here, I think there's something that we need to focus more on. And if we talk about something that I, can, I see often is that women, but also doctors do not take that serious. And when they come to me, it's the first thing that I do is saying, we need to make sure there's no medical reason behind this pain. That's the first thing I need to examine. And one in 10 women across the world has endometriosis, all suffering different levels. And I always want to make sure that women are aware of that. And you might, if you might even be listening now, and if you struggle with a very heavy bleed and very painful one, you might also suffer from something more medical and that needs to be explored and, and examined and that also needs to be treated. How do people feel when they get to speak to you and just, I, it's probably a difficult process to, to open up on such a sensitive private topic and, and allow someone to, to discover it, right? You really go into the, the essence, the privacy of a person's um, life and such as, such as hormones and health in general. I agree. It's a very difficult topic. We have made it very difficult. And I think the reason why is we just lack education from young, being young from, from, I think as a child, you already should receive information about what is actually a period, what is women's hormonal health, what is a healthy cycle. And clients that come to me, women that come to me, um, they already have been often through different processes. They already have met doctors. They have met different types of, they did acupuncture or they went to an orthomolecular therapist, but they still felt something isn't right. So while I was introducing the work into women's health and to open up about, especially on LinkedIn, the first clients that came to me, they were sort of at the end of their journey. They simply gave up. So when they came to me, they said, I, I saw you were talking a lot about that, started to work in this. Let's just give it a try. Um, I feel like nothing can be solved here already. So then coming to me, the world 
opened up. I could talk to them about it. It was actually very, I'm very open. I'm very transparent and I'm, I'm, I'm very normal about these topics because I'm, these topics are normal. And I think that also makes the conversation very easy. So the dialogue is always very positive because we talk about someone's unique cycle. And for me, the mission is that they get excited about who they are and how they function and that they start to embrace that because it's actually beautiful if you understand your hormones and you can live with that in a way that works for you. Um, so at the beginning, I think it was more the women who were already right at the end. And nowadays I can see a lot of different type of women come to me. It's more of the curiosity and they do an intro call and they say, I don't know if I even have an imbalance. I actually don't know, but this is where I struggle with. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. And I think because I've been so open and I've been sharing a lot of information around it, women tend to feel really at ease to talk about that from the beginning. And they trust you, right? And, and, and do you further redirect them to other specialists? Like, do, do you have already maybe a contact book of trusted doctors, gynecologists, endocrinologists that you then redirect your clients to? Not fully, and I'll, I will tell you why. I do work with doctors, but in a different way. So I have currently clients all over the world. Oh. <laughs> so they go from America, Germany, to even Asia. They find me. That's very honoring for me. But obviously, I don't hold all the context for all the different doctors. So the first thing that they come to do uh, when they come to me is we do a very deep dive on their hormonal household. So they have to fill in a lot of forms. And based on that, I can actually see what's going on with their hormones. And I'll make my recommendations. If I see there might be something medical, then we need to do research for that. I create a doctor's note that they have to bring to their gynecologist or to their GP to do an examination, which was, by the way, very interesting that one time a doctor did react to me. He sent me a message afterwards to say, I'm so thankful for you sitting with uh, my patient because you took a time of, like every time you sit with her is 60 minutes, I only have seven minutes of my time. And you figured out what I couldn't figure out. And you you work with me on it. But I also establish a clear balance. I'm not a doctor, but I'm I'm becoming now a hormonal therapist even. So I'm a practitioner and now becoming a hormonal therapist. I'm, I'm a student. I'm graduating end of this year. So I always be very clear as well. What can I do and what can I, what cannot, what can I not do? And that's something that is very clear for, for the client as well. So I always say I work together with doctors. I'm not a, it's not an eater, it's together. So uh, I work hand in hand with doctors, but in a way that works worldwide. <laughs> That's beautiful. Rose, the, you know, the expert supporting like um, clients worldwide. I mean, it's fascinating how your network has grown and how your work is growing and the impact of it is growing worldwide. I didn't know that. And it's beautiful. I love it. I'm curious, I mean, since we, we've talked about it, and let's say this is an existent topic, it's existent issue, mostly due to lack of the education and lack of transparency on the topic. What changes do you hope to see happening in this uh, scene around women's health in general, but also women's hormonal health? And how do you see those changes being implemented and affecting how this whole scene is developing in the future? I love this question. And I think we all play part in that. Let's start the talk. Yeah, the only constant is change. So we have to we have to talk about it, right? If there's a problem, there should be a solution. I agree, but it's not as simple because we still have to find, we have to step out of the comfort or the uncomfortable zone to talk about it and understand that this is normal. So I think opening up the dialogue is one. 
but it actually starts with education uh, for children, both uh, little boys and little girls, because both of them are actually affected by hormones. And a lot of research actually already shown that if little girls have a very good experience with their first period, the menarche it's called, they tend to less dieting, feel way better about themselves, more self-compassion. So why aren't we achieving these things? And I'm even now been thinking of creating something for little children already, for, for little girls. Which age are we talking about? Uh, I would say from 10, 10, 9 to 10 onwards, an, an English platform to, to help little girls come into their period in a fun way. Also for the mothers to help them make the story a fun one. So that's something that has been on my mind to do. And also I think we all should be developing on that. Also government should be putting more money into that, investing into the knowledge of hormonal health. It starts their education. I think at work as well, we need to understand that work is not just the output as a performance, it's also the person that we have. And I think in 2020, mental health came really up. It was very important, especially during COVID. What I try to really boost for it is to say it's not just mental health, it's the overall health. And if clients come to me, yes, we focus on hormones, but we focus on the physical part, the mental part, emotional care. It all plays together. And I hope that the step that we made with mental health, which is a great one, we can move forward and to say we need to focus at the overall health. And that's all of that, including hormones. And so I hope that there will be many more companies coming on the market to think about how can we do better on yeah, the overall health and hormonal health? And not just for women, actually, for both men and women. You know, and another question I just had um, is that you get to work with clients all over the world. Like, do you see that there are certain social economical factors that play a role in their hormonal imbalances and hormonal health? Oh, that's a very interesting question. I'd say the following. Of course, there's a difference. Uh, women who have of, have a higher social status and a better economic status, they have more money, so that most likely they are able to buy period articles and they are able to get health insurance. That's obviously a difference, so you can go to the doctor. Regardless, it doesn't matter where you are on the uh, social status. What is missing is the education. Women with uh, the greatest health insurance, they also go to the doctor and they also just have seven minutes to go there and to find a solution. And most likely the doctor will say, go back on the pill, because that's the first thing that they can do that sort of covers up the, the symptoms for a moment. And so the woman is sort of relieved from the symptoms, but that's not solving the core issue. So I would say regardless of the social status, it's the education that is the missing piece. And so I would say in my coaching, mentoring, I, I don't even know the right word for it. I always do a part of education because it's my duty to provide the knowledge in a very simple way so that they understand what's going on and then they can use that knowledge to either go to the doctor or to make certain changes in their life. Obviously I help them with that, uh, but it's the education that is on wherever you are in the world or whatever status. That's the lacking and this, that's, the, that's the missing piece. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to education, what other advice would you give to women who feel that they are struggling with their hormonal health and maybe they are noticed that something is different? Maybe they're realizing that they, things are out of balance. Uh, what would be your like one, two, three ad advices? May I have one and I will just extend it. Mm -hmm. Take yourself serious. If you feel that something is going on and something isn't feeling right and you aren't feeling fully at the top of your game, you're lacking energy, you have pain, you're bleeding a lot, 
I don't care what type of symptom you have. If you uh, suffer from symptoms, this is something serious and you shouldn't be suffering from symptoms. So that's something the first. And I think to extend that, to take that serious, go see your doctor, go to the gynecologist, go to the GP and don't accept no for an answer or the pill. Obviously, I would say, come to me, come to another hormonal therapist. There are many out in the world. Of course, you also have the medical ones. But if you don't feel heard by your gynecologist or by your health professional, then seek for a more holistic person that has more time for you to explore. And whomever that is for you, that's up to you to decide because it's a very personal topic. So I respect that you have to find the person that can support you or the resources that can support you. But take it serious and take action and don't let those symptoms be in the way of living your life and living your career because it's a waste of time and you have so much to live for. Hormones can be balanced and healthy and you deserve that. I love your answer. It's just the importance of investigating, right? There is an issue. Don't don't think that this can be part of your life. Like Correct. don't make it because I meet so many people and they're like, well, this is my problem. And this becomes continuing part of their life. And this is so frustrating. Like, this is not normal. You should investigate. And until you find an answer to that, then you can let go of it. But because I think sometimes we live such a busy life and and then we just think like, well, later, later, I will resolve it later. And the problem with the health, right, especially our body, if it's later, it really fires back. It really punishes us that we didn't take care of something that was small and then usually 10, 20 years late, it comes in some a little bit bigger issue, which takes way more time, capacity, resources to resolve. And that's also one of the, I would say, recommendations I was hearing from a lot of um, health experts is that anything small can, you know, turn into something bigger. So it's better to start early and have that resolved and checked. I fully agree. Investigate and figure this out. Reach out to Rose. <laughs> <laughs> If you have questions, I love it, our conversation, and I love how much importance and how much visibility you're giving to this topic. I almost want to share my personal story, but that's for later. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I'm curious, Rose, to hear what's really next for you, also personally, if you would like to share, but also what is for your company, which is beautiful. I just love how it looks, you know, Rose & Co. looks very fancy. I like it. Well, the only reason why I called it like that is because my own personal name is not as fancy. It's the most standard Dutch name I have, so I had to make it more fancy. It's like Tiffany and Co. Yeah, something like that. But then the Co in this, in this it stands for coaching and consulting. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. I thought sense. about that. But what's in the future for me? I think, first off, while exploring my career and what I want in life, part of that is also the private. I want to live in nature Uh, Coming from a very big city, living in another very big city, I crave nature. I crave forest or sea or I crave mountains. I don't care what it is, but I crave nature a lot. So I hope that I can move with my partner and our dog and our cat to somewhere warm and sunny because hormones always use sunshine. It's always a good thing to have to wake up for. So let's see, maybe after the summer we will already be moving or I will be traveling more often to a more to nature because I'm, I'm craving that. And I never knew I would say that. Almost thir- uh, turning 32 and I'm saying I'm craving nature. And it's funny because when I talk to people, they always say, oh, it seems like you're sort of wanting to like build your pension already. And I say, well, you know what? Why should I wait for 30 years if I can do this right now? <laughs> I'm gonna live the life that I want. 
Yeah, and together with that for Rosenco, a couple of special things actually coming up. So the first thing is that with the experience that I've gained over the last year, really focusing on hormonal health, I realized that it's a much broader topic. So hormonal health is physical, is mental health, is emotional health. It's the lifestyle that we live, it's the career. And uh, I had a lot of coaching experience for lifestyle and career before that. And I, I can just see the transformation with women happening if we really focus on all. So we always start with a smaller package and then they tended to book extra sessions and they said, I, but I just like now transformation is coming. I also had to learn from this. And I think when you start a company and you start to work in something, you have to learn, you have to test, you have to try, you have to reiterate. Next month with my birthday, I'm launching the, the formula, I called it. The perfect mix of restoring hormones, making sure that you work on your inner femme leadership, obviously, and also making sure that you're activating a lifestyle that you want to live because you deserve that. And I really want to keep on saying that you deserve that and you should let nothing in the way of choosing whatever is making you happy. And so this will be a coaching program of six months, very dedicated bi-weekly, because I can see transformation happening when I'm close to someone. And uh, there's a lot of focus on hormonal health, but also the whole picture. Well, so we, how can people oh, sign up for that? Sorry. Oh, good question. Well, yeah, you can go to my website. It's www.roseand.co. So rose is R-O-O-S-A-N-D.co. Or you can meet me on LinkedIn and we can have a chat there because I just love to have a chat anyway. Feel always free to reach out on a DM. I'm there to talk um, regardless if you're interested or not. I talk to many women and please share a story. You're safe with me. And the other thing that I wanted to say is we spoke about that. I would love to do an event for women on hormonal health, something very practical to connect that with work and to be able to connect more of your cycle with also work. So how can you live more within your cycle and then add those powers that you get from your cycle and can bring that into work? Because I think if you have the awareness of how your cycle is working and the different energies that are going around, perhaps you can also harness them. And I say perhaps because this is something that needs to be an exploration for women, obviously, and an own exploration. And you can really reap the benefits from it while you start doing that. My whole life changed like 180 why I did that. Things have changed. I love it. Who knew that I would be screaming like, I love my periods. <laughs> I'm even like menstruating right now. This amazing conversation brings me to the last question for today. I'm excited to ask this, uh, Rose. This is about women authors of achievement. And probably you know this question because you've been following the podcast for quite some time and uh, you've listened from the beginning, from the start. So this is something very consistent, this question at the end. And I'm uh, very curious who you will nominate today as your woman author of achievement. It was a very difficult one because I have many. And obviously the podcast also doesn't help me because I've been listening to a lot of inspiring women. I'm going to actually bring it back to my mom. And you can say that might be an easy answer, but it's not because I've seen her building her life from scratch and it were very difficult times and she didn't always have time for us. But the lesson that I've learned is make sure to always make your own success and bring your own happiness and don't be reliant on anyone or any process. It has to come from you because whatever happens in life, if things change, uh, if your life is changing, the people around you are changing, you want to make sure to live the life that you want to live. So always take care of that. And that has been a mantra that has been going through my mind always, just to make sure that 
whatever is happening, I'm staying true to me and I'll make sure that I reach my own success, whatever that means for me, right? Because success is very uh, independent. And so I'm very proud of my mom. And I hope she will listen. I'm highly sure she will listen to this, but she knows. Still up to this day, I'm just amazed of everything that she's achieved by herself, coming from no education, no nothing, and looking where she is and proving me that women have so much in there for potential. And we can all do whatever we want as long as we know what we want. Oh, it gives me goosebumps when you spoke about her like this. I do hope she listened to this episode and she's definitely proud of you and probably she would mention you as uh, her uh, role model. But I, I always love those shout outs to moms. Uh, they do happen here quite often. I know. And, uh, <laughs> I know. So sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, it's cheesy, but they're great. You know, they're great. They're truthful. Rose, thank you so much for being on the show. I have to say this has been so enlightening to hear your story, to really deep dive on the topic of women's hormonal health, to understand where you're coming from and how you're contributing to the scene and developments you are seeing. I think this is fantastic how you just building your mission and your purpose in this world through finding those interests by solving real problems that exist there, by fostering education on such important topics and being a real front runner. For sure in Europe, I haven't heard too many people speak about it. So this is amazing to hear this. And I cannot wait for the retreat or the event in June. I hope this is in Berlin. It will be in Berlin. <laughs> so I'm very much looking forward to that and really hearing everyone's story. I, I can already feel it's going to be magical. Oh, I'm so thankful and I'm so honored. And I, I have to say thank you to you as well, because I've been hoping to come on this podcast forever, but I never knew like, why would I come on this podcast? What did I achieve? But now I can truly say I can talk from my passion and I'm really, really honored. Thank you so much, Daria. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast list, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.